Under the radar to me means authenticity, not being filtered. It's a window in on the local stories that touch our lives. And there's a huge void in the traditional media covering this new faces of Boston. You may not be looking for a particular story, but when you hear about it, you're engaged. Under the radar means ahead of the curve. It's also perspectives. How does this particular story affect a community or a neighborhood? I'm Callie Crossley. This is a special local politics edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. The nation is abuzz with updates about the 2020 presidential race. However, another election is fast approaching for Boston residents, one that is arguably much more impactful to their day-to-day -day lives, the Boston City Council elections. In preparation for the preliminary municipal election on September 24th, over the next two weeks we'll be focusing on two of the hottest city council races, district seats five and eight. We're starting with five today, and this week we're joined at our satellite studio here at the Boston Public Library by seven of the eight candidates for the Boston City Council District 5 seat. Yves Marie-Jean could not be with us. District 5 includes the neighborhoods of Hyde Park, Roslindale, Mattapan, and Reedville. Now, the candidates drew lots to determine the order. We've divided them into two groups. We're starting in this half hour, uh, speaking to four of them. Ricardo Arroyo, he's an attorney born and raised in Hyde Park. His father, Felix Arroyo, was the first Latino to serve as a city councilor in Boston. Ricardo is a public defender with Massachusetts State Agency for Public Defense. This is his first time running for public office. Welcome, Ricardo. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to have you. Also, Cicely Graham, community organizer and elementary school teacher. She is a lifelong resident of Hyde Park and a first-generation Caribbean American. She's running for public office for the first time. Welcome, Cicely. Thank you for having me, Kelly. Jean-Claude Sinon, resident of Roslindale. Jean-Claude is an activist and radio and television announcer. He's making his third bid for the District 5 seat. Welcome, Jean-Claude. Thank you for being here. Thanks. And finally, Alkia Powell, currently a resident of Hyde Park. Formerly, she was a city hall staffer at the Mayor's Office of Fair Housing and Equity and the Office of Economic Development. She is also a first-time candidate. Hello. Such a pleasure. Thank you. I've been reading all of your you know, statements about what you want to do, what, what your concerns are for the district, which is <laughs> different. It's big, and it has many different aspects to it, which we'll get into. But I wanted to start with one of the biggest issues, which is affordable housing. All of you, have, to a person, have said this is something that has to be addressed. And there are some uh, specific concerns that you have about what's happening in the district now. And I believe to almost a person, each of you have had a story about yourselves trying to make sure that you have affordable housing. So I'd like to start off with that. Ricardo, I know that one of the pieces that you'd like to see happen is really an emphasis on renters, because your point is that uh, most people are not owning, and renting is the big thing that needs to be addressed when you start talking about affordable housing. Yes, and so when I talk about this issue, what I talk about is my student loans. I have massive student loans, like 200 some thousand dollars. Uh, and when presidential candidates talk about changing the interest rate on an unpayable loan, it doesn't make the loan any more payable. And so when I talk about rent, when we talk about rent stabilization, which I think is necessary, that doesn't take people out of the instability of being renters. And so I'd like to see a program where we can actually get people out of being permanent renters and into home ownership. Uh, and I think that'll go a long way towards addressing major racial issues in terms of economic growth in the city where we have an average uh, net worth for a white family is $250,000. The average net worth for a black family is $8. And a lot of that goes to property ownership. 
And so I'd like to redirect the way we have this conversation to not just stabilizing the rent market, but also creating a pathway out of being a renter into a homeowner. Well, essentially, you know, you're focused a little bit along those lines. You're talking about a 2% real estate transfer tax to help for more affordable housing. Please explain. Well, I believe that, you know, if we don't have some sort of boundaries to uh, flipping of housing when developers coming to our district, uh, what we will be seeing is more displacement. So with this 2% charge on the transfer tax, it will help de-incentivize these developers and also uh, prioritize the residents of Boston, specifically in this district as well, because affordability is a huge concern. I'm looking at the area median income. We want to make sure that the housing cost does reflect what we can afford there, um, and that's a place that we can start. Jean-Claude, you make a point of saying that you've lived in probably every piece of the district. Now, was part of your moving around connected to trying to find affordable places to live? Certainly had to do with it a lot because of the fact that uh, I was raising a family all throughout the years also. So having, living into certain areas and I had to move in into others for, for, for the sake of that purpose. And... And definitely, I had to make a lot of adjustment. Income flexibility also become a, a norm because of the fact that, you know, sometimes you end up in a certain bracket and you cannot afford this and that. So I had to find a way to maneuver. So I understood uh, what's going on around, and I've, you know, I've been seeing the people who are being victimized by it. And I think it's about time that we challenge the system and really bring up some solutions to the problem that folks are facing. Displacement is a very poor practice, and then I think it's unfair to the bulk majority of the people who happens to be in the need and don't have anybody to come to the rescue. Do you have a specific plan in mind, or are you just uh, wanting to join with people to, to do something well, about well, it? Well, number one, I think that the whole issue as far as developers are coming in and saying that they are presenting affordable housing, it has to be real, and somebody has to hold them accountable for it. That's number one. And number two, uh, I don't think it's a bad idea for wind control to really see the days again because it seems like right now it's obnoxious what's going on out there. Alkia, you were talking about linking affordable housing with anti-violence programs, that there is a connection there that you think is important. Well, um, I have firsthand experience being displaced from my home. I grew up in Mattapan, and you know now I'm living in Hyde Park with my 14-year-old, and my, my mother lives in Rosendale, so I know that district all so well. I think a lot of it also has to do with my um, experience having to fight housing discrimination and fair housing inequity and the voices that came in there. I understand their concerns and their needs and a lot of financial literacy. You know, we want to get them into their own homes, but they need to learn how to get there and, and there's not enough of those resources. So one of my biggest things that I accomplished was that resources in the community, bringing those resources more available in those communities so that they know that they're at hand at City Hall. So the district that you all are all seeking to represent uh, has been represented by Tim McCarthy, who um, was in place since 2013. So what do you think that you can do with, around the issue of affordable housing that he didn't do? I announced in December that I was going to run for this seat when Tim McCarthy still held it because I believe that his leadership was out of step with the district itself. And one of the things that he had voted against was the Jim Brooks Act, which was just going to track evictions in the city of Boston. I want to see this seat and whoever holds it elevate the position to seeing constituent services, which I think is a vital part of the job. 
but I think that you should also consider public education and fully funding public schools as a part of constituent services. I think you should consider affordable housing displacement as a part of constituent services. And I think we've had councillors lead the way on this, whether it's Councillor Edwards with the speculation tax ordinance or Councillor Janey with the cannabis equity, where they're showing that as a district councillor, you can do the ground level person to person constituent services while also having a vision for the city and executing a vision for the city that makes it a better city as a whole for that district and for the city as a whole. Okay, uh, Cicely? Well, I believe a way that we can focus on affordable housing and, and as a city councilor, uh, my lens would be to focus on rent control and really fostering the relationship between our landlords and our renters because that's really where a lot of the issue lies. Um, really putting a cap on how much our landlords can charge within a given uh, period, a year, creates more displacement as well. I believe we should also have more uh, resources within the community, um, opening more banks and you know creating more tools where people can access home ownership, can access loans, and really have uh, more tools that will lead them to uh, more financial literacy so they know how to do this um, and really curb the debt to income that they have in the district. All right. Jean-Claude. Well, fortunately, I have been part of a diverse community. To be honest with you, I think there are a lot of folks that are suffering the fact that language barriers has becoming a norm. So therefore, education is definitely a desperate call because folks don't know what's going on within the city in terms of how to advocate for themselves, their rights, and so on and so forth. But again, uh, my understanding of the positions that you represent the people. So therefore, whatever issues that they have, you do definitely got to be there and advocate on their behalf and not really standing in codes together with developers and so on and so forth. So it is my understanding that you become a servant of the people and their issues are at stake. So therefore, you're going to have to be there and fight for them in every way is necessary. Okay. Absolutely. Financial literacy across the board, transparency across all three neighborhoods. It's been said that High Park has had some favoritism. But our, let's, what do you mean by that? So, you know, as I was out there talking to my neighbors and residents and, you know, going to the other neighborhoods like Rosendale and Mattapan, they feel like High Park has this and they get favoritism from dating back from the Menino um, years. So, you know, I can see why that is. In terms is. of services? I just a, want a, you to a, be clear. A, a, yeah. a, in terms of services. Okay. You know, and resources that mm -hmm. are poured into their communities when it comes to their parks, recreation and education, uh, school systems, and what's out there for resources available for those small businesses. And I, I've seen it for, um, hands on, especially within Mattapan. They are at a disadvantage. Uh, Rosendale is starting to come up. We have those main streets that are out there. I've been a part of them and understand. So just making sure that, you know, I'm always present, you know, that is key, that I show up and not just stay input. Being part of neighborhoods and, and, and listening to those voices, and they see you visibly, and you're always there to pick up, that plays a huge so, role. So am I getting from you that you feel that you, you can do a better job of that than former counselors? Absolutely. Tim? Okay. All right. Let me move to another topic that is a hot-button topic for your district, and that's transportation where there's a lot of deep feelings, as I've been reading, about you know, how the transportation, the commuter lines are running. I'll start with you, Cicely, um, about you know, what the real issues are that you're hearing from people and how you want to address that. What it's I, a big one. 
Yeah, it, it definitely is. And as I'm going out on the doors, I hear a lot of concerns around density and traffic in our area. Um, and we do need to see uh, more cohesion when it comes to our vehicular traffic, our public modes of transportation, bike lanes and bus lanes, and really a way that we can do this to um, help the community move along um, more equitably. Big concern is really getting around the district and really the bus routes. There are some uh, routes that are dead zones. Um, I've experienced it. So hours of the day on River Street, connecting towns can be really hard to travel. You don't know. It's uncertain when the bus is coming. Uh, so we need more reliable service around the district so people can get to and from, you know, the local businesses and, and really keep business within the community. Also, bike lanes for people who cycle around town. You know, we do need access to that. That's also equity as well. So, you know, I am a fan of connecting bike lanes. Um, also, walkability. I also have grandparents and elder aunts and uncles that walk around um, and you know they might have sight and hearing problems that you know we do need uh, things in place that can ensure that their safety is a priority as they move around the district. So and you know MBTA we, we, if we start now we'll we'll still be talking about that at the end, <laughs> at the end of your time so that's an issue for a, a lot of communities and districts but there is a, a route in your district that's proven to be working very well because they've improved the line and streamlined it. So is that an example of you want more of that or you don't like how that's working? Just be a little specific for people who are listening. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and what I've heard a lot of is, you know, our route, the High Park Ave route is really efficient. Our route in Rosendale on the uh, WAP sorry, Washington Street route, that's efficient as well. So I would like to see more of that all over the district. Mm -hmm. um, we do have access to uh, the commuter rail. We have our High Park Station, our Fairmont line. We have the Blue Hill Lab Station now in Mattapan. So I just want to see more efficiency, uh, more hires, um, advocating for more funding for the MBTA so that they can address that demand in the community. All right, Jean-Claude. Well, to me, number one is that the fact is when we're looking at this whole issue of transportation, especially if you have a chance to really standing up on the squares, it needs a whole entire survey to be looking at because it's very dangerous also. There's a lot of tensions in Madison Square with the folks that are going into work, attending to the train stations or attending to the buses. And, and I think we need to review this thoroughly because it's dangerous for the people who are just crossing, for instance. So you are asking the folks to pay more money and you are providing less service. To me, that's unfair to society, as far as I'm concerned, because it, not, it ought to be balanced somewhere, somewhere along the line. Because if you want to increase the fare, as far as transportation is concerned, you also need to provide adequate services to the people. Okay, uh, and it's not supposed to be working perfectly in this area, and whereas in certain areas that are being deprived, it's not working properly with them. So I think, as a person who's going to be running, who will be a city councilor for District Five, I want the whole entire district to be treated properly and equitably with equity. Okay. Alkia. Absolutely. So we know that the T transportation is at the state and government level. There needs to be transparency across the board where the city really has a stake at the table. I don't think that the communication lines are there. They're strong enough with all these hike fares and unreliable and unsafe transportation that's going on, especially on our, on our train rails. It's pretty scary. So I am in favor of them stop the hike fares going up and to, you know, fix the system. I mean, you know, they have to fix it first before they can keep on putting that burden on our constituents. You know, it's not right. Um, it's, they're not reliable. They're just, they're not. Mm -hmm. uh, Ricardo. 
so you mentioned the uh, Washington Street bus lane. I'd like to see more bus lanes, specifically on the Blue Hill Corridor and also the High Park Ave Corridor. And I believe that's something that the MBTA would be amenable to because of the success of the Washington Street one. I think we have to talk about, when you talk about commute, there's a number of different things that factor into that. I don't think people discuss the health disparities that come from the stress and from the unreliability and from the kind of secondhand factors of having uh, your entire life dependent on a transportation system that's unreliable. Uh, and so when we talk about transportation that includes commute times for commuters and vehicles, it includes bike safety and making sure that we have connectivity with our bike lanes. It includes trying to do all that we can ensure that we have traffic calming measures in place throughout the district for pedestrian safety and, and for quality of life. But I think what we really have to think about is how we address the bus routes that we have. District 5 is very dependent on bus routes. And currently, all those bus routes are forcing folks to sort of, the only option is to go in or out of the district. They don't really move you around the district. And if we're really going to take seriously the idea that we want to move people to public transit, then we have to change the way we organize and set up our, our bus lanes uh, and our bus routes. And finally, on that topic, when we talk about the fares, the commuter rail fares in High Park, specifically the Fairmount line, there's a huge disparity in between it, and that needs to be addressed, uh, and that would be a priority for me. And when we talk about fares for the MBTA... Why is that? So Zone 1A and Zone 1, which is sort of this arbitrary line where you have parts of the district where you're actually... You can be coming in from, say, the Malden, uh, which is a further distance and paying less than if you were coming from the Reedville station. It's an arbitrary line that, frankly, the MBTA sets, uh, and so it's something that's completely within our control to change and within partnership with the MBTA. I know that other folks have worked on this. Councillor Matt O'Malley, Councillor McCarthy, State Senator Nick Collins has worked on this. And so it's something that I hope we will see addressed, but it's an issue uh, and it causes secondary issues. So for instance, if you're trying to dodge paying extra to go to the Reedville station, you may go park your vehicle in the Fairmount area. And so there's all these secondhand effects that really affect quality of life that have to be addressed. And I am a proponent for free fares for all. Uh, I would join Councillor Wu in, in pushing for that. Okay. I spoke at the beginning, and many of you have said a little bit about how broad the district is and how there are parts of it that some of you feel are getting some attention and others of you are not. Let me just put some statistics out there. So this is a district that is, this is District 5. Again, it's Hyde Park, Mattapan, Roslindale, and Reedville. 70% people of color and 40% immigrants. Um, which I have to say that the group of you and, and the other four who are, are running for the office represent all of those constituencies. So I'd like you to speak to what some of you have sort of hinted at about trying to bring together divisions, concern about how this comes together, and how you think you can address that in ways, again, that Tim McCarthy perhaps did not. I'd like to take a shot at this because uh, I remember when I ran back in 2013 against Tim McCarthy and I came in the final as the person that ran against him. Uh, one of the idea came from Boston Globe stating that I'll be the, the city council that will unify the district. And I could see it in many ways, first of all, because I am an immigrant myself, also somebody who happens to speak several languages. So I have the flair of what's going on within the whole entire district. Mattapan happens to be a stepchild, and there is no doubt about it. For years, it's been like this. And the real representation has never been offered to Mattapan at all to really step up to the plates. So my role will be certainly to unify the whole entire district completely and making sure that everyone is really participating into this whole action, okay? There has to be some unification in the armies, because at the end of the day, we are all fighting 
to make sure that we have a better district. And if we want to turn it into a role model for the city of Boston, we're going to have to strive completely on that. And unifications will be the ideal thing. And as someone who has really worked as far as unifying people before in the past, I definitely think I could deliver on this, and that would be for the best survival of the district. Alkia, what could you do to bring these divisions together or eliminate these divisions in ways that soon-to-be former counselor Tim McCarthy did not? Cultivating on the culture's understanding, I think that there's definitely has been a disconnect amongst the three neighborhoods. You know, High Park has definitely turned over. It's predominantly minority now. The minority is the majority. And I think that change is definitely taking a toll, but still not a great stance. As Sonon says, Mattapan has suffered a great deal, especially when it comes to, you know, safe streets. Also tying in, you know, working closely with the Boston Police Department. I have that experience and that connect and that relationship, bringing back programming that we had, making sure our, our children are connecting with one another and creating and recruiting more cadets. The more that, you know, the violence is going up, we have less officers there. There's no foot patrol, and it used to be, like, you can walk down the street, you knew who the officers were, they look like you, we need to get back to that and create more programs. I've worked with an organization called JAGO, Latino Law Enforcement Officers, who come together and they're actually recruiting cadets, young, young children, and, young, and training them early on to get a sense of, we're not against you, we're here for you, we're like you. And I think those programming needs to come back, goes back to education. The education system is, is definitely broken, um, and we need to fix it. Uh, Cicely. So definitely, I believe we should focus on education and equity within our schools. Uh, right now, our district has over 50 schools, and majority of them are either charter, private, or alternative. Um, in Mattapan, uh, we have one high school, that's the international high school there. I think we do need to focus on bringing more public schools into our area that will address the, the equity within the schools. So you're saying that the way the, the school system is laid out is contributing to the divisiveness at Yes, this point. Okay. I think so, because okay. education is a tool that we use to mobilize ourselves economically with also financial resources, right? So if we don't have schools that are uh, accessible, that are quality schools outside of our charter schools, we're creating more of that displacement. I myself was a student that had to travel outside of the district for high school. I went to two public schools within the district, the Shaw and the Rogers, but then ended up going to Charlestown for high school with a lot of my friends. So I have that experience of having to travel an average of 15 hours a week to school, and that's just too long of a time um, for any student. Also working and, and helping out my family. So focusing on you know that affordability in the area as well so that we can have less of a stress on the family and creating more paths to uh, have more community engagement um, and supporting our main streets and, and bridging that gap between our main streets and the community uh, for more programs and um, maybe more community events so people can come out and really get to know each other, focus on outreach um, in different ways, the diversity of outreach. We have social media, we have door knocking, and you know that's something that shouldn't just be centered on running for a campaign. We should also use those tools to uh, create more cohesion within the community. All right, Ricardo. So what I would say is that issues that have plagued Mattapan and other parts of the district are a symptom of institutional racism that's existed in the city. We've made great strides forward, at least in terms of elected office, but when we get to the economics of the city as a whole, and, and I'm very 
big on making sure that I talk about this. Discretionary contracts are something that the city does every year. They gave out $665 million in, in discretionary contracts last year. Less than 1% of those contracts went to companies owned by women or people of color, and that's institutional racism at work. And so when we talk about Mattapan, Mattapan is one of the only districts, uh, only neighborhoods in the city. I think it is the only neighborhood in the city that doesn't have a liquor license. That means that no restaurant in the neighborhood of Mattapan is allowed to serve you liquor. And restaurants tend to be economic anchors. If you go to Rosendale Square, if you go to Clearly Square, you're going to see restaurants there with liquor licenses that have served to kind of stabilize those areas and lead to economic growth. I think unless we're talking about addressing institutional racism, unless we're talking about really putting a counselor in place who's going to address it, who's going to talk about it, who's going to not accept it, and who's going to ensure that when we talk about city services, it's not just the equity of being able to request city services or to see yourself reflected in the city council, but the equity of actually receiving those city services. And that's something that we've had, I think it's plagued other neighborhoods in the city too. I, Roxbury is no stranger to receiving less services, uh, parts of Dorchester. It's certainly been a problem that's plagued the city of Boston. It's one that I seek to address from this district seat. It's one of the reasons why I ran. And I think this is a good opportunity. It's, it's a pivotal time for the city of Boston as a whole with the direction that it seems to be moving in. But it's a pivotal time for the district to make sure that we put ourselves in a position to address these issues in a way that is efficient and that is immediate and that is urgent. Okay. Correction, though, in Mattapan, there, there are liquor licenses available. It's just that the businesses haven't picked up. And coming from, you know, I worked for the Economic Office of Small Businesses, and I know that those licenses are there, but they haven't sought out businesses that can seek them. I actually work with a business that will be coming and joining Mattapan soon, and we'll have one of those licenses. So they're available. Okay, so, you're disagreeing. So what I would say is that uh, this was an issue that Councillor Presley mm -hmm. attempted to address, right. and it created the Main Street liquor licenses. The problem with the Main Street liquor licenses is that they're they're so uh, Doyle's closed. Right. Doyle's closed their liquor li closed. They sold their liquor license for four hundred sixty-five thousand dollars. A Main Street liquor license is worth zero dollars. And so when we're talking about starting a restaurant, usually the way that works is they use the liquor license as uh, collateral for the loan that they then get to, to open that restaurant. The issue in Mattapan is that the Main Street liquor licenses, which are available, are worth no money in terms of the collateral. And so we do have people who I think are seeking to make that investment within Mattapan, but it's a question of opening up that system in a way where we can actually generate wealth and economic growth. Absolutely. Uh, and so that's a, that's a slight difference in the way that we talk about that specific issue. All right, if you're just tuning in, this is a special local politics edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and here with me are four of the candidates for the Boston City Council District 5 seat. Ricardo Arroyo, you just heard him, Cecily Graham, Jean-Claude Sanon, and Akia Powell. I want you to pick one thing. I, I picked issues that I know across the board you all are all on top of. One thing that we have not mentioned that is a particular issue to you that you believe you bring a unique ability to address from your seat if you were to win the District 5 City Council seat. Ricardo, I'll start with you. For me, it would be, the fact of the matter is we haven't talked about public safety, we haven't talked about education that much. Uh, and what I would say is that the most violent thing that happens in our neighborhoods is poverty. And addressing that from the city council, where the city council has, you know, people have talked about whether or not the city council has power or not. The power that the city council has is in the budget. They get an up-down vote on the budget. Uh, and you get to advocate for the budget, and the budget reflects your values. I think we can address these inequities that we have across the board, whether it's, for instance, fully funding education and not waiting for the state, though they should pass the Promise Act, not waiting on the state. We can do that from the city budget. Making sure that we get secondary services in our school, making sure that we address public safety at the root, and making sure, as somebody who was a public defender, when we talk about public safety, we don't often talk about diversion. We don't often talk about getting people into jobs, getting people into housing, and a large part of my job was stabilizing lives 
as a public defender, and that meant getting them into housing, and getting them in the treatment. We don't fund those things. And there's also a large gap in between the age groups. There's usually a lot of programming for 18, 19 year olds. When you're 30, 32, 33, and you're trying to get out of that life and you're trying to find some stability, there's usually no programs for you. And so it's addressing these issues. Uh, I would say that I go more in depth on this at my website, www.votearroyo.com. But it's really addressing those inequities and making sure that we put our budget where our mouth is, right? Make sure we stabilize some of these communities. All right, so, uh, Cecily. So we have addressed education, which is a priority of mine and affordability, but something that we have not addressed here is really climate change resiliency. And that's something that, you know, I think as a district, we really should be focusing on resources uh, to help our neighbors. We do have a uh, river running right through our district and it's the Neponset River. Now we don't really have that much information on how to prepare for flooding or maybe a disaster with a hurricane or something like that within our district. So I think there needs to be more education around that. Also focusing on providing resources and an understanding of how to keep our town clean. Uh, a lot of pollution and trash within our gutters, all of that will create more flooding and you know, whenever we have heavy rain. So I think also being a supporter of the Green New Deal and focusing on more preventative measures rather than reactionary is a, a focus of mine as well. Okay. Yeah. All right, Jean-Claude. Well, as for me, the reputations of Mattapan, which used to be called Murderpan, would love to certainly uh, work hard as far as removing that stigma on our back. And I think bringing in the community together to put their own collateral also at play together with the police department and so on and so forth to really remove this. And unfortunately, you know, the dilemma that I'm facing is that when displacement is coming into play, it seems like the whole entire system is coming with all the ammunitions to fix things up for themselves. But as far as the people who have lived there, they were the ones who were carrying the burden all along. And suddenly, Mattapin is becoming uh, a treasure, a little treasure that everybody is seeking into because it has more household owners than, than anywhere else in the city. And you should see how people are just flushing money into the neighborhood as far as to get them out. And, and that is a predator activities that I really dislike completely. And I don't think uh, they are playing with the other leaves also along the way with that. And I think they need somebody who's really going to stand up and fight for them so that they can keep what they have, what they have been enriching as far as the treasure is concerned. Now, in terms of education, I am very well scared in fact that we are borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. Because uh, when, when we come up with, with, with this whole method as far as charter school is concerned, and the money is taken from the public school, and we are saying the public school is not good, and we are taking the money from the public school to support the charter school, something has to be done completely as far as equity is concerned in this regard. To me, it's unfair practice. I don't think it's fair to the majority of the students who are going into the public uh, school system and okay. for them to be treated this way. Okay. Okay. I was focused on the small business. What better way to strengthen and the wealth of our communities and focus on that? That's where I come from. A lot of, of my work that I passed before I left the city, I resigned uh, to run my campaign full time. And I realized that, you know, focusing on those small business, especially in Mattapan and High Park and Rosendale, still growing, those mom and pop shops aren't aware of those resources. And I was able to bring that to the table, and many of them are striving. So we're looking to better strengthening wealth and our neighborhood, but you got to pour into those businesses that are, are currently there to filter in new ones. And you know, on September 24th, we, that's the only way we can get there, and I am number three on the ballot. So I'm hoping that you know I can gain your support. <laughs> All right, I'd like each of you to give me one sentence which really embodies who you are in this campaign. Alki, I'll start with you. Passionate. Mm -hmm. I've walked in your shoes. 
I have the experience of over 20 years as a public servant, okay. and I'm ready to serve. Be that voice for you. All right, John Claude. If you're like me as your next city councilor, I guarantee you for sure you will have a servant at City Hall. Somebody who's going to put neighborhoods and families before politics. That's the game. Okay, Cicely. As an educator and grassroots community organizer, I have a lot of experience when it comes to getting the perspective from the people. And my focus is making your voices a priority and really uplifting um, the focus of our community as a lifelong resident of District 5, but also as your city councilor. Okay, Ricardo. Uh, as an advocate, I've been a public defender. I'm no stranger to hard fights. I'm no stranger to trying to make systems that were not made for us to succeed actually work for us and work to our benefit. I will be tireless uh, in my advocacy for issues that I believe really need to be addressed, like income inequality, institutional racism, gender disparity. There's a number of major systemic issues that the city council, I think, is uniquely positioned to deal with that I'll deal with, and I see myself as a, as a good advocate to do that. All right, I want to thank Ricardo Arroyo, Cicely Graham, Jean-Claude Sinan, and Alkia Powell, our first group from District 5 uh, candidates for joining us today. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah. Coming up, we sit down with three more candidates for the Boston City Council District 5 seat in a continuation of this special local politics edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. Callie Crossley, and this is a special local politics edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. We just spoke with four of the eight candidates running for the Boston City Council District Seat 5, uh, which covers Hyde Park, Roslindale, Mattapan, and Reedville. And now we'll hear from three more candidates in the race who are able to join us here at the Satellite Studio at the Boston Public Library. They are in order of the uh, drawing lots that they did before we began. Uh, our New set of candidates are Mimi Turchinets. Uh, she's a Mattapan-born attorney and community advocate currently living in Hyde Park. Mimi is the Assistant Deputy Director of the Mayor's Office for Financial Empowerment and founder and president of the Southwest Boston Community Development Corporation. She also ran for the District 5 seat in 2013. Hello, Mimi. Hello, Callie. Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm so glad to have you. Next to Mimi, Justin Murad, lifelong Hyde Park resident and a paralegal for the City of Boston Law Department. He's only 24 years old, but this is his second bid for District 5 City Councilor. Hello, Justin. Hello. Thank you for having me. Of course. Maria Esdell Farrell, Hyde Park raised community advocate. She is currently uh, District 5 City Councilor Tim McCarthy's education advisor. This is her first time running. Hello, Maria. Hello. And I should mention that candidate Yves Marie Jean was unable to join us for this discussion. So I want to start off, as I did in the first part of the show, with one of the number one issues in your district, which is affordable housing. And to hear from each of you about how you see it as a problem or on the scale of many other problems, but it's a big one in District 5. Mimi, talk to me about uh, affordable housing and your plan for addressing that. Sure, Callie. So what we're seeing in District 5 is really a housing crisis. I have been, as you stated, the founding member of the Southwest Boston Community Development Corporation. We started that organization 20 years ago to address this issue. Now we're kind of 
right with a bullseye on our back. Rents are skyrocketing. People are looking at this district right now as a place to really develop so that we're really in a crisis. I'm the only one in the, this race who has built affordable housing. I have just cut the ribbon on 27 units of affordable housing with the, the Southwest Boston CDC. Um, I'm committed to finding more resources to build affordable housing. Uh, one of the things that I've been calling for is more community control of development because the development is coming and it's coming strong into the district. Our goal is, is really to make sure that folks have a voice at the table much more so than they have community you mean regular folks. Yeah, real yeah. people, right? Right, not just uh, hand-picked people mm -hmm. who are uh, representing the community with developers, but that everybody needs a voice at the table. And what I have said is that I'm going to use my office as a place to really bring people together and put together strategies to talk to developers to really be that voice through a community control process. Okay. Uh, we need a plan also. We need a, a master plan in, in the district. Okay. Justin. So uh, affordable housing, like Mimi had touched upon, it is, it is a problem in, throughout the city as it's seeing, and that there is a housing crisis. There's not enough affordable housing for residents of District 5 and of Hyde Park, Mattapan, and Roslindale. So my look at is to try to represent the tenants better than they have been. A lot of tenants are being evicted. They're not able to afford the rising increase of rents that either tenants or developers are raising their units on. So definitely as a city councilor, I would look into bettering their resources, having the city being able to help the tenants because they're the residents, it's their homes, and they need a place to live and feel safe. So definitely better giving of resources to them and also I've looked upon to capping the rent increase that landlords are allowed to do every year instead of increasing astronomically to the point where tenants have no choice but to leave but to capping that where they they shouldn't be able to increase their rents more than five percent annually is that rent control or is that something different I would see that more as like a rent control type mm -hmm. situation. So it is rent control. Yes. Okay. All right. Yes. Okay. So definitely where tenants have that opportunity to whether or not they can afford that or if they're going to have to go elsewhere and definitely have my office as a place where tenants can come and they can voice their concerns and how I can help them and also be their voice when those big developers are coming in and saying that there's affordable housing and upping that amount of affordable units to the 13% that is there now up to about 25%. Because if there's more affordable housing in these big developments, then people will have a place to go. Mm -hmm. Okay, Maria. Hi, so honestly, you know, I've been out there and um, talking to people, knocking on doors, what I hear in our office on a daily basis. The biggest concerns I hear uh, around housing for us is just not having quality options, not having options to purchase. You know, there's a lot of overdevelopment people are concerned about coming through the way. They want to maintain that quality of life in their neighborhoods and what has made it so enjoyable and the characteristics of the neighborhoods. So a lot of people in my district, it's different in each neighborhood. High Park is not really in favor of apartment buildings and more housing. Rosendale has been more uh, accepting of that, uh, which just brings parking issues and concerns. And Mattapan's worried about a gentrification as, as the city's growing, they don't want to be pushed out. So those are things um, that I hear daily that we worry about. We want to make sure uh, families want their children to be able to stay in Boston as they go on to college and they graduate, they can't afford to buy in the city. We do have a high um, amount of home ownership in our, in our neighborhoods. 
So that's something that we want to make sure we're watching the development, the zoning, the input from the community when it comes to building, developing, housing. I think those are the biggest pieces. And I think, you know, one of the reasons Council McCarthy, I know um, Rocado Arroyo had mentioned the Jim Brooks Act. And I think, you know, we're always looking for ways to keep families in their homes, keep them happy, keep them safe. But we were concerned with the Jim Brooks Act. And we don't always agree on everything, the council and myself, but it was uh, a tool that might displace people even more. It only allowed like three months notice you can go up and rent anywhere you wanted. We we're afraid they'd be a high turnover of condos. So we didn't see that as the answer. Uh, everyone's always trying to put forward something and some solution. So I'll continue to work on that. But I, I agree, I would love there to be something in place where landlords can't just astronomically raise the rents. We, uh, it'd be great to have a percentage that they can do that too. And those are things that like the council has already been looking at and, and trying to explore. So Maria, since you've been, you said we a few times, do you see yourself as an extension of sort of the legacy of Tim McCarthy? That's so funny. I, I actually think it's habit, <laughs> yeah. uh, working in the office for so long. It's, it's been an office, so that's been a unique transition for myself to, to break from the team and be my own person. I've learned a lot because I've been in that office. You know, I come in with my own ideas, and like I said, we don't always see eye to eye on, on many issues, actually. Uh, I, I tease almost like a married couple. I'm not the counselor, so I don't get the say and the final say. And I have a different perspective and a view on how we approach things. But I guess everything I do has always been a team okay, effort. So it's, so, it's, so it's close to where he would be if he continued on the council, where you are over most issues would be close to where he'd be. Probably Is that similar. Fair? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. You know, I think I want to do a little another round, Robin, with you all and ask you to define what you mean by affordable in your district? I mean, I think the challenge with affordable mm -hmm. housing is it's complicated. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what, what I'm hearing, and I'm at the doors, and I'm talking to people every day, and I am hearing that, that people can't, they can't stay in the neighborhoods. They are getting increases of rents of $500, $600 a whack. Um, and so when I say affordable, what I'm thinking is most people are not going to be able to move into to public housing, right? I mean, public housing, there's a 15-year wait for public housing, which is very low income. There's a, a range of what we say when we say affordable, and really it's about how much subsidy can you get if you're building affordable housing. So if you get a lot of subsidy, you can get very low-income folks, so making under, say, $30,000 for a family of two. Many of the affordable housing developments that are being built are between 30% and 60% of the median, right, which is kind of where people are, are at. I mean, the, the average income in, in Hyde Park and, and Mattapan is 40, 45 grand. So people really can't afford market rate rents, right? So how do you define it? I mean, it's defined in a lot of different ways. What is the area median? How much is it that, that folks can make? I mean, but the rents now are going up to $2,000 a month. Okay. Uh, people gotcha. can't afford that, right? Justin. So affordable housing, what it means to me is, and as I've seen going throughout the district and, and talking with people who are in situations where the rents are high, that affordable would be towards more of like a income-based ratio type situation where not everybody makes the same amount of money across the board. So some people can afford the units, some people can't. So I think affordable needs to be defined as it's an income base. So it's a percentage of what you make that is affordable and that works for the family as a whole. And if developers come in and they say we offer affordable housing, we need to lower the higher uh, yearly average that the salary is, their, their income is, to lower because as many developers come in, affordable to them might not be affordable to what others are able to afford. Right. 
I mean, I agree. We talk about this all the time. I yeah. think people get afraid to hear terms like affordable housing, um, as, as Mimi just said. What does that mean? And, and it is. It's based on your income, and because you know, say affordable okay. is not affordable. Okay. And I think that's. I think we're all kind of on the same page with that. Okay. Well, let's go to transportation. Big issue, as you heard from some of your competitors in the, in the first hour. There's everything from people feel, feeling as though they, there's not a fair rate, commuter rail rate uh, in your district, along with bus routes not being very right. efficient. So where do you stand? Mimi well, Turchin so I, I take public transportation. Mm -hmm. I'm a, a happy rider of the 32 bus. It's a terrible line, but it gets me from my door to the orange line, right? I mean, I have said that with the fare hikes, we should not have gotten a fare hike if we weren't going to fix the T completely opposed to the fare hike. Uh, we're not getting what it is that we need to get in terms of public transportation. I have worked on the Fairmont line, which is the commuter rail, mm -hmm. the line that runs from South Station to Reedville. Um, it's completely within the district. As part of the, the Fairmont Collaborative, we were able to, to work in partnership with a lot of different organizations to increase the amount of stops, mm -hmm. to make that run much more effectively. But, okay. but still, I mean, what, we're, what I've been calling for is having that line be rapid transit, being able to use Charlie cards for that whole line. Right now what's happened is that you can get off at, at Fairmont, which is in downtown Cleary Square, and have it be the, the two bucks. But if you go further, it's six right. bucks, right? So it is, it's completely unequitable. We need to change that. Okay. We need to have equity on that line. The other thing, too, is what are we going to do about the Mattapan trolley? I mean, that trolley needs to be upgraded. We need to maintain it. Having any kind of conversations about getting rid of that trolley is really a real problem for Mattapan. All right. Justin. So transportation in the district has been a main focus of my campaign throughout since pulling, pulling nomination papers. And the way I see it is I always throw these numbers around at all the forums and all the interviews I give is that in two, since 2010, Boston has brought in 67,000 residents, new residents, and over 120,000 jobs. So with that, traffic congestion throughout all of Boston has gotten worse upon worse. And Boston currently sits at number seven for worst traffic congestion throughout the country because Boston residents are sitting in roughly 60 hours of traffic annually. Now that's a problem. And in Hyde Park, Rosendale, Mattapan, they see that problem firsthand. There's a lot of traffic, there's a lot of buildup. And the way that I see it as is if we give more options, and the main option would be the MBTA. And I feel that the MBTA, that if they, like Mimi said, want to raise the fares for using the T, then they need to be held accountable to the problems. I'm a T rider, I have a monthly T pass, and I use the 32 bus in the orange line. And there are times where I'm waiting for an orange line bus to and from downtown, or I'm waiting for a 32 bus. And when I get on them, they're either delayed, there's a fire, their other lines are derailed. So it, it's very hard to see that I pay $90 a month to ride a T that I can't really rely on. So, and I see that not only through myself, but throughout the residents of the district. And I feel that as a city councilor, and a lot of people say, well, as a city councilor, what can you do for a state-run agency such as the MBTA? And I just tell them the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Because at the end of the day, if we can voice our concerns and say, listen, a 19th and 20th century system being brought to the 21st century is not going to fix the problems. The MBTA sits on a $7 billion backlog of repairs. And if they're not doing enough to fix that backlog, then they shouldn't be raising the fares. And as is already, the zoning for the MBTA is out of whack. How they came up with that process is very interesting. Okay. Because from, one, right. a, from yeah. one, one stop to the next, it, for a monthly pass, is a $132 difference. So holding the MBTA accountable okay. and fixing it is what 
I see. All right. It is. Uh, Maria. Transportation is clearly one of the most talked about issues in, in, in District 5, um, all the way from traffic to speeding, to people cutting through the streets using Waze apps, the frustration, um, everybody wants speed bumps and stop signs, and they would love police on every corner doing traffic enforcement. I think those are like the biggest concerns we have, but if we can, you know, we're not really, we don't have a large draw to our police department anymore with all the things that they've been dealing with and going through. Uh, the department's smaller than ever. We only have about eight to nine officers per shift, so we can't get them out there doing traffic enforcement. So I think most of the, um, it's quality of life, quality of life in our neighborhoods, so people are frustrated that they've lived on beautiful side streets their whole life, very quiet neighborhood, and now it's just the speeding and the accidents have increased and that's frustrating. So most of the time I hear we're either going too fast or we're going too slow. So we're speeding through our, our towns and our neighborhoods or we're stuck in traffic for hours in our central areas. So, you know, we've been trying to invest and I say, wait, like I, I'm, I'm part of the team. So these are things I've been studying, researching and, and working on and we had a hearing um, in city council Council McCarthy did uh, right in the beginning, and we try to have the T come accountable as those fares all the way across the board and, and how we're explained. You know, they do that radius. Would you support Michelle Wu's, uh, let's just make it free or, you know. Well, yeah, I did this. support fair uh, mm -hmm. her fair hikes. I joined the Wu train and I wore my <laughs> sticker proudly okay. and I was on the trains with that. I was really excited to be a part of that. Would it be great to have free transportation, but can we afford it? And okay. how are we going to pay for it? So those are things that, you know, we all want everything, but um, I don't know how realistic that is, especially given the state of the system right now. Okay. As I mentioned in the first half hour, the District 5 is 70% people of color and 40% immigrants. And the group of people who are running for office is a kind of reflective of all of the areas of the district because it's quite expansive and many, many communities, ethnic communities tied together there or not tied together, which is my question, which a lot of you have addressed what you feel are the divisions that need to be brought together. Uh, some cohesiveness, and I want each of you to speak to how you would work toward that. So, sure. Mimi. So, so what, what I have said is that I'm running to strengthen neighborhoods, build community, and knit the district together. And so, what what I can say is that I'm the the candidate who has done this. Uh, my campaign is multicultural, multiracial, intergenerational. My kitchen cabinet is very, very diverse. I'm running a campaign that reflects my values, which are working throughout the district uh, with all different kinds of people. I'm, I build coalitions, I bring people together. Um, I started a, a tax coalition 20 years ago that has served every neighborhood in this district. When I talk to, to folks at the doors, when I talk across the district, I'm, I'm moving through the district with every single person, every single organization and, and constituency. I've been talking to seniors, was at a, an event yesterday in Roxbury with seniors who are veterans over 60, very, very multicultural. So I believe that, that that's who I am, that's what I do. What I do. It's in my DNA to, to really be reflective of, and of bring the district. Bring yeah. it together, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's really very much about uh, what this district look like, looks like and, and listening to people, helping to, to be the eyes and ears, be the voice, but also um, taking people's voices in with me and opening the door to City Hall. I don't go in there and close the door. I open it and bring everybody with me. Okay, Justin. So definitely another talking point of my campaign has always been an open door policy, that if elected city councilor, everybody and anyone is welcome into the office. Their voices will be heard, their opinions, their ideas, their concerns and issues will be dealt with accordingly and, and right then and there if, if possible. 
and seeing throughout the district, like you said, there are many different, every one of walks of life. I live in a, I live in a neighborhood where there, you see it all the time and everywhere. Every house is owned by somebody who is different from the next person. And bringing them together as one is, I think, something that needs to be done better than has been previously. And, and bringing the, the towns in the district together as one has been my goal, that everybody needs to be heard and everybody needs, needs their voice heard because they all live there, it's their home, it's their community, and bringing them together as one has been a, has been a big goal of mine and, and hopefully if elected city council, it's something that I can act upon and actually do. Okay, Maria. Thank you, I'm so glad you asked that. Um, building community has been the thing I've done my whole life. It's the thing that means the most to me, not just as my job, but just as a, a person in my community. And it's been incredible. Um, working in Boston Public Schools has given me such an incredible lens beyond anything else. I think, you know, we all grow up and we all look for those comfortable places and try to find people that um, look and think like us because that's where our comfort zones are. And when you, when you work in a diverse district, um, and especially at Boston Public Schools, because everything, everything in our neighborhood starts with family. So in BPS, you really see the struggles of every single individual that comes through. Um, I'm a first, uh, I'm first generation myself. My mom didn't speak English and she came to the country. So like hearing the lens that my family's gone through, having that lens moving forward. And I have to say one of the things that's really helped shape me as a, as a human is doing the diversity dialogues okay. by the YWCA. Mm -hmm. it's, just, it's been so, it's such an incredible tool that I'm hoping we can use that I want to expand what community means to all of us and find ways to bring it together. And those are things I've done in Boston Public Schools and I think I can do it more okay. in my district. Um, now pick one issue that we have not talked about that I, you know, of not transportation, not housing, um, that you feel that you're uniquely qualified to sort of raise and push forward if you were to be elected. I'm gonna start with you, Maria, on that issue. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, the number one reasons people leave the city, if it isn't because they can't afford it, it's because they're unhappy with our school system. And time and time again, I'd meet families uh, building community and doing that great work just to lose good friends uh, because they were frustrated with the system that wasn't working for them. So I've been working with Boston Public Schools for the last, I don't even know, like I have six kids in the BPS system. So the work I've been doing advocating for them, which got me the job for Council McCarthy. Mm -hmm. um, As I'm education going, advisor, we should rem yes, remind people. Uh, okay. it, it's, it's definitely the mm. piece. It's my sweet spot. It means more to me. It's, it's the thing that drives me because I'm so determined to believe that we can have a good school system. Families can have a quality life here in the city okay. all the way through. All right, Justin. So definitely an issue that I think would need to be um, addressed fully in our district is public safety. And it's something that has really, you know, hit home with some people in our in our district alone. And working with the Boston Police Department as a city councilor, I feel that encouraging more re police recruitments where people can join the police force, you know, and help out that number of police officers. So there's more patrolling, there's more watch groups, there's more of, of transparency between the Boston Police Department and the communities. And I am also an advocate for more neighborhood watches, that I feel that if more people know what's going on in their own backyards, there's more of a, of a task force that is there to stop violence. And I think that working with the, BP, the Boston Police Department on these issues would really touch upon that and kind of help with public safety. Okay, Mimi. And what I would say is that, that I have been, uh, spent the past 20 years focusing on building wealth in the community. So through uh, creating a financial opportunity center in Roxbury, creating the Office of Financial Empowerment through uh, first the, uh, doing this work through Tom Menino's office and then with the current mayor, 
Uh, I've really been focused on making sure that we're bringing back resources into the community. We're uh, both building wealth, creating strategies to uh, do asset building, um, small business development. That's really what I'm about. I'm really about uh, providing uh, capacity for folks to, to get ahead, to thrive, and, and to really be able to, to do the kind of things that, that historically um, there's been real significant disparities, and we really need to address that. Okay. So now you have about 10 seconds, each of you, to give me one sentence that really embodies who you are as a candidate and what your campaign is all about, so that uh, those listening can know where to place their vote on September 24th. I'll start with you, Mimi. Sure. So I would say that I'm your independent voice for city council. I'm running for this, this seat because I'm committed to building community, creating uh, strategies to build wealth in the neighborhoods. I'm uh, not from a political family. I'm a scrappy, uh, strong, independent woman, and I'd love your vote, and your, uh, would love to have your uh, vote on September the 24th, okay. and thank you. <laughs> okay. Justin. So I would just have to say that I'm somebody who's young, I'm somebody who's fresh, and I'm somebody who's new, and like Mimi's herself, she doesn't come from a political background or a political family, and neither do I. I'm somebody who is a voter, I'm a resident, I'm a community member, and I definitely want to be that person's voice in City Hall, and that voter's, that voter's vote comes September 24th. All right, Maria. Thank you, and I, I would say, um, as, as someone who's lived in Boston her whole life, and, and the way national politics has been so crazy and so divisive, I think it's important that we have leadership that is balanced, understanding, and has some um, non uh, content, knowledge, historical knowledge. I think I'm that person. I understand families more than anything and the struggles it takes okay. to raise your family here. All right, you guys love a long sentence. I uh, thank you, I uh, thank you, uh, uh, Mimi Turchinhead, Maria Ezdel Farrell, and Justin Mirad. Thank you so much. Thank That's you. Uh, thank you, thank so, you so, so much. Very much. District five candidates. Boston's preliminary city council elections will be taking place on Tuesday, September 24th. As you heard, the deadline to register for the November 5th elections is October 16th. Well, that's it for this special local politics edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Join us next Sunday at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed. We'll also be back at the Boston Public Library on Thursday, September 19th at 3 p.m., where we'll be talking to candidates for the Boston City Council District 8 seat. You can learn more by checking the BPL studio calendar at WGBH.org. In the meantime, you can find our show, links to stories we discussed today, and bonus content on the web at WGBH.org. WGBH.org slash news. Listen to our show on the WGBH app and take UTR with you. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to connect with us on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Callie Crossley and like us at Facebook.com slash under the radar WGBH. Our engineers are Doug Sugarts and John Parker. Our intern is Melissa Rosales. Francisca Monahan is our producer. Under the Radar is a production of WGBH. Thank you.